let it be noted that this Bar Crawl Radio conversation is taking place a day and a half after a U.S. president was impeached for the second time. I've had a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach for many, many months. But today, I am quite happy that our BCR producer, Alina Larson, has brought together three people whose work is to produce music. Let's wallow in the happy, happy, happy of music, music, music. So for this Bark Crow Radio episode, we will talk about music that probably you have never heard with three professionals in the music field. But if you are regular BCR listeners, you have heard this next cut from Wade Ripka's Eastern Blockheads Band, recorded at Barbez in Brooklyn. And here we go! Today we will be talking with three people with a diverse portfolio of music production. But first, I want to thank our BCR producer, Alina Larson. Thank you, Alina, once again for Thanks, inviting Alina. these great musicians today. I know that many years ago, Alina was an editor for our first guest, Jim Harrington, who is the pop music critic for the Bay Area News Group. He began writing about the Bay Area music scene in 1992 and was the full-time pop music critic for the Oakland Tribune in 2006. Jim also writes for the Mercury News and East Bay Times. Dawn sutter Maydell is co-owner of Agoraphone, creating music for commercials, television, and film. Recently, Dawn was a music director for the film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, now playing on Netflix, and she directs the music for Netflix's animated kid show, Hilda. Harold Stefan began his career at New York City's unique studio, working with LL Cool J and Phil Spector. He co-wrote and co-produced Maddie B's hit, Hooked on You!, he has composed for CW's The Originals and DreamWorks' Puss in Boots. His band, Amelia's Dream, has been featured in Disney Films and Lifetime Network. Mr. Stefan has played keyboard on Broadway and is now a music educator at Stuyvesant High School. Welcome, everybody, to Barcore Radio. Clearly, this Zoom call is dripping with musical talent. All three of you appear to be very busy. You're very busy musicians. But what about now, during COVID? Uh, what are you doing? How are you, how you keeping going? And maybe we can start with Jim Harrington. You're a music reviewer in the Bay Area, out in San Francisco. Can I assume you've been listening to reviewing live music, but now you're not? That's right. I'd say that probably about half of what I would be doing pre-COVID was going out to shows, staying up late, 2, 2.30. Alina knows how many I used to produce when she was editing my stuff. And um, and yeah, that's really shifted as of March. Last show I saw was Patti Smith at the Fillmore, which if that turns out to be the last show I ever saw, it's a pretty good last show. Cool. And now it's just, um, you know, doing whatever I can, whether it's just profiles of musicians or things going on. There's some type of uh, live music, you know, via the Zoom and, uh, uh, you know, live streaming and that sort of stuff. And that's been part of it. But, you know, just trying to tell the stories and just jump in where I can. There's always something to do at a newspaper. As a reviewer, um, what is it like uh, listening to music through Zoom? I mean, can you get, can you get a, a full sense of what's going on with the music? Even if it's a live performance, I'm talking about. Well, there's pros and cons, definitely. Uh, one of the pros is that I can see 
what's going on. You know, they'll have close-ups, you know, say it's a guitarist or something or a pianist. Uh, you know, I can see the finger work, you know, in a, in a way that I just absolutely couldn't see before. Uh, if I miss something, you know, I can, I can watch it again. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that are a bonus. But that said, there's no really replicating uh, the live experience of actually being there. Uh, I really miss that connection. You know, sitting alone in your room, even though you're connected, you know, via Zoom to all sorts of other people, you don't have that, you know, couple next to you who are hearing their song live and like just going gaga, you know, that are, they can't, oh, they're playing the song. Well, it's their biggest hit. Of course, they're playing the song <laughs> or, you know, whatever, or that's, or that B-side that the, you know, that the band pulls out and you're like, whoa, I've never heard this live before. And, and people getting up I and spontaneously dancing. Like, I, I never realized, I think, how much the crowd added, you know, musicians have always talked about it. But, uh, you know, I'm on the other side. I'm the guy with the pen and paper. So I never really, I think, uh, appreciated how much the crowd added to it until um, I wasn't part of a crowd. Does that affect the quality of your writing? I mean, it doesn't sound like you would be as inspired. Well, I just have to focus on other things. You know, I might be focusing a little more on the songwriting. I might be focusing a little bit more on, uh, you know, selections. Uh, I just can't really be talking about the feel as much and anyone who's gone to concerts before know that the knows that the feel is at least 37 percent of the experience right <laughs> and so that's a that's a that, that's a big hole in what you can talk about so you have to find other things to talk about uh whether it's anecdotal or stories or anything else but um you know i love music still still just as much and i've gotten to uh you know listen to more recorded music this year than I have in years past. So right, right. there's been pros and cons. Talking about uh, living during the age of COVID, I wanted to turn to Harold. You're a musician, and we will be talking about your music. But uh, during this COVID epidemic, you've been uh, producing um, a video on your ability to cook or make things <laughs> yeah. uh, through the Save New York City Musicians. Could you talk a little bit about that organization, what they're doing? And what your video was on. I, I mean, I know it was. It looked delicious. You know, the video is on Chicken Halal. I figured, uh, you know, what could be more New York than, like, authentic Chicken Halal? And um, my son, you know, I have a 13-year-old son. Uh, we're actually upstate in the Catskills right now, about nice. 90 minutes out of the city. Um, so one of the meals that he really misses, uh, you know, that he would, that was a staple in his diet was Chicken Halal. And I figured also, you know, like when you're playing a Broadway show, like as a musician, a lot of times you'll pick up halal before you go, you know, play the show. Like out on the street. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely on the street. Yeah, yeah according to but our figured, son, that's the best halal. It, it's absolutely right. Absolutely right. So um, so I, I searched up the recipes and I found a good recipe online and it's been very successful since the pandemic uh, started. So I received an email I guess about a month and a half ago from, you know, through via the music union, local 802, um, which you have to be a part of, you know, to, to play in uh, like Broadway shows, for example, or to do like commercial work, that sort of stuff. It's a great community. And they reached out saying, uh, would you be interested in, in sharing a recipe uh, that maybe you've discovered over the pandemic? And it's not my recipe. I did not come up with it. It's something I found uh, online, but I adapted it a little bit 
I made the video uh, last week. I cooked it, uh, you know, filmed every little piece of it, edited it together. Um, and I think it came out very nicely. They just put it up. The, the cookbook is not available yet. It's going to be available, I think, in, a, in about a month or a couple of weeks. But it's really for a good cause. I mean, you know, Broadway uh, musicians, well, New York musicians in general are, you know, it's a hard time. Let's just say that. So um, I think that it's, uh, it's a good cause. And I was happy to, um, to share a different side of myself through that. You were no galloping gourmet. Um, I don't know if you remember the galloping gourmet. I do remember the gallop. Well, I but, didn't. Yeah, I mean, but like, it I was, was quite. Yeah. It was quite well done. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, Thank lighting you. was good. Well, maybe it's good that he wasn't was the, the galloping gourmet. Yeah, that's uh, Save New York City Musician, and you can go and uh, contribute online to New York City Musicians, and and well, we should. Uh, Thank you're you. also you're also teaching too. Are, are you teaching right. online? Um, yeah, I'm teaching fully virtually. Uh, a couple years back, I got a terrific offer that I could not pass up as a, you know, as a working professional. Um, I was, I was considering other things to kind of complement my career because I felt I had a lot to share at this point in my life. I've done a lot of things. I've basically done everything that a New York City musician can do to make a living at some point. So I got an offer from Lincoln Center to get my master's degree uh, in education. And I thought, you know, this is a great time to do it. I'm glad, really glad that I did it, uh, especially in this moment. You know, obviously we don't have spectacles to look into the future, but, you know, boy, boy, am I lucky in that regard. But I'm teaching uh, virtually music classes about the genres of New York City. So I trace the entire trajectory of genres. I go back to the Harlem Renaissance and um, we look at how, you know, all this terrific music ended up in Harlem, uh, you know, through the Great Migration. Uh, and all these wonderful ideas. And then we trace the trajectory all the way straight up through uh, the birth of disco and hip hop. Um, we do like Latin Latin music, we do Tito Puente. And, you know, just, it's a really nice music history class of New York City genres in the 20th century. And it's at Stuyvesant High School? That's correct. Yeah. Right. Wow, I'd, I'd like to take that class. I would too. I was just thinking, like can fun. we sit in? And the kids are super bright. I mean, I learned from them as well. And we are in the process of, um, you know, raising funds to build recording studios at the school. And right. I do a lot of work with the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, and we do, in fact, we were, you know, uh, we're working with Universal Music Group now to do, um, you know, to bring in like Grammy winning writers and, and producers to do uh, workshops with the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And we've been doing it virtually. I did one um, in the spring with Stevie Van Zant, which was, you know, terrific. He's a great guy. Um, and he's also actually very involved in education these days. He's He's got this terrific website called Teach Rock. It's a wonderful organization, and they they have terrific lesson plans, mainly for high school. You had uh, been working at Unique Studio, which clearly was a forerunner. In Bobby that. Nathan. Bobby Nathan. I ran, He was the, the studio owner, uh, he and his wife, and um, terrific people. And I ran into them in Florida, actually, a couple of years ago at Club Med. He was playing in Del Rey, I think, in a blues band. And, um, you know, I went and saw him. And anyway, yeah, he was – I always – I always admired him and, uh, you know, I was happy to be happy for the time that I spent at Unique. Great. I wanted to bring a Dawn Sutter Medell into the conversation. Um, you uh, write music, you produce music, you direct music, uh, all kinds of hats that you have on there. Are you working on any projects now during this pandemic period? Um, well, first of all, I should say I don't write music. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> the one thing I don't do. Um, but I'm um, first and foremost a music supervisor, and I've been really lucky over the pandemic time to have had projects that were long-term projects 
that were um, already in the works. And so when studios were shut down, I was able to continue working. Um, one of my projects is just now finally available on Netflix, which is um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I was still working on that um, until recently. And then um, I also work on a, an animated show. So animation is the one thing that wasn't shut down at all over this time period. I've continued to work throughout. Currently, right now, I'm working on a, a Buddy Guy documentary. Wow. So you, you're, you're just keeping going. I mean, this has not uh, slowed you up at all. No, it, it, it was really fortuitous. Um, you know, I, I had three rather huge projects in, in, uh, in the works. One was um, a, a docu-series that Steve James directed about the city of Chicago. Um, and so because it was in editing phase, I was, you know, still plugging in music and um, licensing music for it, which is what a music supervisor does in case you don't know. Um, I provide the musical suggestions as well as help them license me. The main goal of this program is to get some suggestions from you three of music that we may not have heard, uh, but should, should have heard of maybe. Music that will raise our spirits. But first... Let us know a bit more about the three of you. Yeah, we just thought we'd kind of delve a little more into into what you're doing. We've already gotten some, but we wanted to get a little more. So, Harold, I have heard rumors that Phil Spector was a really sweet guy and easy to work with. Um, well, that's going way back to Unique Recording Studios. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was, there was one night that Phil Spector was in the studio, and I got a chance to meet him. Um, you know, since you brought it up, uh, he had an interesting story, which I'll share with you, um, oh, because that's the best way to describe my experience beating Phil Spector. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're, we get to talking and, and we we're talking about John Lennon and, um, you know, it's late at night. It's probably like three or so in the morning. Um, and he said, let me tell you a story about John Lennon because he was really a unique human being. I said, all right, great. So he he uh, he goes on to talk about an argument that they had uh, in a you know during a recording studio session. I imagine during you know uh, during one of the main sessions for uh, you know imagine maybe probably I think he was referring to, and he said John Lennon told me that you can communicate with people, you know, telepathically. And I told him, well, I don't want to curse on the show, but you know, that you're full of BS, right? You can curse. Oh, you absolutely yeah. can curse. All right. Well, he's, he said, I think you're full of shit. And John Lennon said, well, all right, you can believe what you want to believe. And, uh, you know, I'm going to believe and know what I know. And so, um, as he related, again, I don't know if this is like, you know, this is, he told me this is a true story, whether or not it is, I don't know, but they break for that evening. He gets back to, um, you know, his house, Phil Spector falls asleep, is woken up a couple hours, you know, later still, you know, maybe five in the morning or so out of a dream. 
very vivid dream, you know, when you have those dreams and, and like you can almost control things and, you know, uh, like a wakeful dreaming kind of feeling. And he said, John Lennon and I were having the conversation and John Lennon said to me, you know, it's true. You really can talk to people. We hear each other's thoughts. And he said, no, you're full of shit. And then the phone rang and he says, now do you believe me, motherfucker? And he hung up the phone. <gasps> Whoa. So I don't wow. know that that's true or not, but you know. <laughs> oh my, that gave me pretty goosebumps. Powerful. I, just I got, have a feeling just it probably goosebumps. was true. I mean. I, wow. I like to think it's not shit. I like to think it is true. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Lennon was a pretty powerful dude, right? So, you know, he Absolutely. was definitely tapped into some stuff. Well, well. Harold, I read that Maddie B's raps hooked on you has gotten over 9 million hits on YouTube. Oh, um, actually these days it's probably up to like, you know, over 45 or, you know, in the, in the 40 million range, it's he's amazing. like an internet phenomenon. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, that's, that was a song that I, I did that with, uh, Aran uh, Tabib, who was a guitarist in the Spin Doctors, um, wasn't the original guitarist, but was their second guitarist. He was, uh, he's moved to Israel now and, and uh, started a family uh, in Israel, but he was my production partner for a couple of years. And, um, you know, he plays guitar really terrific. So, yeah, we built that track and kind of sent it to uh, a producer that we knew from uh, New York, his manager. Uh, well, he was he was a student in New York, but he lived in Sweden at this point or in Finland. And then uh, the track got picked up by the manager, sent to, uh, you know, a, like a, a, a group of kids who do top writing. So, no, what is uh, that? Uh, I don't know. What is top lining? Top lining is like, you know, nowadays it's very popular to write um, to track. So, like, you know, you have a you have a, a song that's basically fully fleshed out. You can find many like beat producers now on YouTube. That's a whole kind of cottage industry doesn't pay a whole lot unless you get lucky and have a hit like Old Town Road or something like that, which happens, you know, you can strike gold um, and then work out the deal afterwards. But top lining means writing the the melody and the lyrics on top of an existing piece of music. So uh, I had a similar situation, you know, long story short, and this track that I did with with Aran Tabib was embellished by another producer, Henrik Tala. And then that ultimately got back to, you know, Maddie B's uh, crew and it became a big uh, internet hit for like for very little kids <laughs> i actually went to his show last year at the playstation theater um you know and, and got to meet him in person because it was all virtual and the audience is is really young you know i hope he can pull up like a justin bieber and kind of transition you know to that next level that'd be terrific and and i hope that for him um she so yeah she got me spending all my time I mean, how old is he now? Was he like 13, 14? How old is he? And now? He's, no, he's now he's like uh, 17, okay. 16, oh, okay. 17. He's, right. he's a high schooler now. Yeah. But really sweet kid and sweet family. Uh, his father's terrific. And um, I think it's his his uncle is like his, uh, or might be an older cousin, is his producer who, you know, works with him all the time regularly. Um, and they're... Um, you know, they're down south in, in South Carolina. So, um, yeah. And any, any, any of our older any of our older listeners were talking about Maddie B. Rap. Or that's Maddie right. B. Raps. Maddie B. Raps, that's right. There, there, there we go. And he started when he was very, very young. And you also worked with uh, Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist LL Cool J. What was that like? The sessions, I remember him just being, it was when he was really young. You know, again, this is back at Unique Recording Studios. And um, he was very focused. He, I remember him saying uh, the one the one anecdote I can recall 
uh, that would be um, worth sharing is he said, you know, I realize when I prepare uh, and I'm ready for a session, I get much more work done. And this was him as a young man. I mean, he was still in the midst of his career. So um, yeah, so cool guy. Yeah. LL Cool J. LL cool cool guy. J, yeah. <laughs> Don, let's uh, find out a little more about you. You uh, were a music director for Netflix's 2020 film, August Wilson's play, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Not seen it yet, but I'm really looking forward to, um, to, to watching it. Branford Marsalis, Winton's older brother, who wrote, I guess, some of the music for, for um, Mrs. Rainey, called you the music whisperer for the film. What, what do you think he meant by that? Um, so, well, so Branford wrote the score and then he did all of the arrangements for the film. So the film is actually includes mostly Ma Rainey's music, um, which was written in the 20s. Um, and then Branford did arrangements for that, the um, film, and we went to New Orleans and recorded it. I think that what he meant was my role in this film was to work directly with the um with Branford and then also with the actors who were supposed to be musicians so in this particular film Chadwick Boseman and there are four music main mu musicians and then Viola Davis is, is Ma Rainey there was a lot of work that went into it because none of them were actually musicians. So they, they had to learn how to play their instruments or at least pretend to play those few songs. And I think what he meant when he said I was the whisperer was sort of coordinating all these things. But then also I was kind of a liaison between the director, George Wolfe, and Branford and the the actors and just you know there was a lot of juggling that needed to happen to make sure that everything went smoothly and people got what they wanted and needed and I think that that's what yes, but it sounds a little more than licensing music yes so I was um I was the music supervisor and in this particular film because there were musicians, there were actors who were supposed to be musicians. Part of my job was to be on set to make sure that they had the playback edits that they needed to perform, perform them on, on camera. And then also that they looked realistic, that they, that they were playing the right notes, that they were playing notes when notes were happening. Um, so you facilitated that? You, you, did you give them directions? Yeah, can, can, you, can you give us an example maybe of a moment in which you, uh, you know, you interrupt and said, wait, we need to relook at that? I mean, well, I can tell you a, a very embarrassing moment because normally, as you pointed out, I would not be on set, right? So normally what I'm doing is suggesting music that already exists to go into a film or a commercial or a TV show. Um, or, or I'm having a musician create something for that, but I'm not on set and I'm not dealing with all these other aspects of the film. Um, I can tell you one very embarrassing moment for me was when I was watching intently. And of course you have four different musicians, so you're trying to watch all of them. 
And um, someone came up behind me and said, Coleman, who um, was playing Cutler, the uh, trombonist, he said, Coleman's missing a note there. And I turned around um, and it was Denzel Washington. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, there's a few humbling moments along the way where you're concentrating on you know, there were three other musicians and I really hadn't seen that note that Coleman was missing, but Denzel did. So, wow. so then I went and spoke to Coleman, pointed out where that note was that he was missing. And then, and then we re uh, shot the scene. How did you, how did you feel? I mean, how, what was it like being on set and doing this, something that you don't usually do? It was very exciting. I mean, one thing about being a music supervisor is, that you're constantly learning about new types of music. I'm sure Harold feels this way about like teaching or James feels this way about writing. I've, I've also written about music, but like you're constantly learning about different types of music. Um, you're constantly learning. And in this way, I was learning totally new skills. So, um, you know, I was really getting to delve in some history that I already knew about. I was a huge, blues and Ma Rainey fan, but, um, you know, I was also getting to, to learn about other aspects of it. So it was great. You know, there's another hat that you wear and that you, uh, produce commercials too, television commercials for your company, Agora phone. It's Agora phone. Yeah. Agora I'm phone. a music supervisor for commercials as well. You've produced for some very big companies. Can you just name a few that you've, uh, produced for? Um, FedEx. Um, that's the one I want to talk about. Oh, because Alan did a FedEx commercial, you know, at one time in his life. He was an actor. About, about yeah. Many, and that was his big commercial. decades ago. And I just want, uh, I, I don't know how long you've been doing the FedEx commercials, but I know um, Alina Larson, uh, her husband, Tom, you uh, helped to do the music for a FedEx yeah. commercial that he, that he uh, uh, produced. I, I was wondering, FedEx used to be so funny. They used to do all these funny, funny commercials. Were you involved with FedEx at that point or at some other time? You know, a lot of the times when they were doing the, the more, um, and maybe Alina can speak to this as well, but I know from talking to, to Tom, um, when they were doing the funny things, a lot of them didn't have music. Music wasn't a, a big um, player in those. So a company like BBDO, which does the um, FedEx commercials, if they want to hire someone outside to do music, music is usually playing a bigger part in that ad. Does music in commercials work the same as music in film, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, commercials are shorter and more pointed. So, you know, there are parameters that you're looking for. So things that you look, that you consider when you're doing a commercial are going to be different than those that you might consider when you're doing a film, right? So when you're doing a film, you might say like, oh, well, would this character actually be listening to this? Would this be, you know, at this point in their life, the time, you might think about the time frame. Does this make sense? You know, I was just, um, but one of my friends who's like a super nerd was saying like, oh, well, Wonder Woman, they're supposed to be in the new Wonder Woman film. They're supposed to be listening to this song, you know, and that song actually came out 
much later in that year, you know? Like, That's pretty nerdy. Was, yeah, right. It, it would have been possible for them right, to, right, right. to listen to that. So those are the things you consider with film. And then with, with ads, you consider things like um, baseline. Emotion is for everything, right? Film and commercials. But with commercials, you're going to consider like, well, do they have a target audience? Is there a story that you need to tell might happen in a film, but it might happen in a much different way in a 30 second or 15 second commercial. It's basically just taking everything and like magnifying it a hundred times. Jim, you're a pop music critic, but you seem to have other interests. So on Twitter, on a Twitter page, you are calling for everyone to wear something music related music wear like what do you mean what you know as I was getting into the new year and I was like what's gonna be fun what can you know what can make it feel a little less like one groundhog day after the other right I'm telling you yeah so much music stuff you know t-shirts and things like that and hats and you know right now shout out uh music depot we wanted to talk uh, about the Music Depot. Yeah, what is that? to buy a guitar and all sorts of other stuff, a little local shop. And so I just made the proclamation that I was going to wear something music-related every single day. And I'm going to see how long I can do it without uh, duplicating. I don't (laughs) think I can go all 365. But people have been getting into it and people have been sending me stuff. Uh, Because I've been posting it. Friends have been, like, loaning me shirts and things like that. Nice, nice. And I've been returning them washed. Wink, wink. You know, no, no actually washed. <laughs> and uh, it's just some, just something a little fun that I've been doing, and people have kind of getting behind it. And I've told people to, you know, post their pictures too. And I noticed also on your Twitter page, and I'm, I, I wish I, I, you're wearing it today because I am huge fans of, you know, your kisses on my list, Hall and Oates. So, um, yep. Are, are you are you a fan? Is that what we're talking about? Are you a fan? I wouldn't say a big fan or whatever. You know, I, I think that they're, it's okay they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all that. And uh, my best memory of Hall & Oates is I had a, a hilarious uh, interview with Daryl Hall once. Like one of my favorite interviews of all time because he was just so uh, gruff, shall we say. Okay. And, give, uh, us a, give us an anecdote. I'll always Google someone just to see, even if I know stuff, I'll, I'll just see if there's anything new, you know, what's trending about them. Cause I might've missed something. I'm not, you know, super up on the gossipy pop culture stuff or whatever. So I'll, I'll Google and look. And when I Googled Daryl Hall, the first thing that came, that came up as a Google result, cause I was typing it in was which one is Daryl Hall. And <laughs> oh, I wow. So funny. You know, people didn't know which one was Daryl Hall and which one was John Oates. So which one is Simon? I started, <laughs> I started off the interview. I didn't realize how gruff he was when we started. I said, and I told him the same thing. I said, you know, before we got on the phone together, I Googled your name just to see what would come up. And the first thing that came up was, which one is Daryl Hall? And there was this long moment of silence. <laughs> And you can almost feel the steam, like the my phone started getting a little hot. You know, I can almost feel the steam on the line. And Daryl just stops, goes, "That's the stupid, stupidest 
bleep thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you don't have to bleep, by the way, but uh... yeah, that was how we started our interview, and and from there it was just it was just really refreshing because he didn't, you know, someone who's accomplished that much. It's so nice when they uh, just let it fly. You know, I had the same result with um, with Billy Joel who wanted to apologize, uh, basically apologize to listeners for Columbia records that they just kept putting out greatest hits packages. And he's like, I just hope that people don't think that's anything to do with my idea. You know, that, you know, just mine in the, the pocketbooks, mine in the pocketbooks. Of course, I don't think Billy Joel probably returned any of the royalty checks. But I doubt it. Have you worn any Billy Joel t-shirts lately? Yeah. I, I don't have a Billy Joel teacher. And actually, the Hall of Oats one was not mine either. That was a loner. Oh, okay. All, All right. right. Oh, okay. Well, if anyone has a T-shirt of a famous rock star, a pop star, send it on to uh, Jim Harrington. I don't know. I'm uh... taking care of as far as I'm, I have giant collections of Joy Division and Roxy Music T-shirts. I'm okay in those two regards. Okay. Those are probably my numbered. I also have a lot of Pink Floyd, too. So, so, so what... Joy Division, Roxy Music, Pink Floyd, I'm good. Otherwise, I'm open. This is very unique. I mean, I've heard of a guy who's running 10 miles every day until this is over. I've heard of a, of a dancer. And he only runs in one direction, by the way. <laughs> he just keeps he's, going. He's running around the world. And um, I heard of a, a dancer from Broadway who's doing a, uh, a, a film every month of the, you know, the dancers that she knows. So wearing music. I like it. I like it. My Twitter handle is at Jim the Critic. At Jim the Critic. Jim the Critic. So okay. I'm posting a photo every day. Facebook as well. What is your main T-shirt want? It's probably some of the jazz guys, you know, like uh, a Charles Lloyd or a Dave Brubeck. Uh, you know, I'm fine in some of the more, you know, popular names, I guess, in like the Miles Davis, the John Coltrane. I have things like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Aretha. But you know, some of those jazz guys. I'd yeah. Who doesn't have an Aretha T-shirt? Really, cool have really? a Charles Lloyd T-shirt. There you go. Okay. You go. All right. So I also saw that you are a fan of gospel choir music. It gets me elevated, for sure. Right, right, and, right. Uh, my favorite, yeah. I got I to gotta say, is uh, the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. If you're not familiar with the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir and their great artistic director, Terrence Kelly, um, search them out. saw dawn you were going like well of course gospel music what's that, that's great stuff Especially since you, just, you just did ma rainey's uh black bottom jim and i have very similar jobs right so like you you have to listen to all sorts of music and you so i mean i've had my company for 20 years and one of the first things i do when i interview someone is i say is there a kind of music that you hate so much that you just won't listen to. And if they say yes, I say you can't work for me. You have to be able to find something that people like. Even if you don't love it yourself, you have you just have to be able to to understand those types of music. And and I just don't think that like if you're no music is mutually exclusive. Like you're not gonna say like, well I only like this one kind of thing. And that therefore means I don't like these sorts of things. There's certainly lots of music I don't like, but... <laughs> How about elevator music? I have done 
you know, I have programmed music for things like the Cole Hahn stores. So in a way that is programming music. There's something interesting about all types of music. And uh, If I could interject quickly, I have, I have a, a relevant uh, piece of knowledge here. Uh, you guys know Jerry Wexler. He was, uh, you know, he, he worked at Billboard magazine and then he became a famous producer for Atlantic Records, you know, produced a bunch of stuff. He coined the term uh, R&B. Oh. And, um, and uh, he, after that term became, you know, a uh, household staple, um, he said, you know, I really should have called it uh, rhythm and gospel because there's way more, um, you know, it's a wider uh, purview of genres and it's more actually related to what R&B became as right. a genre. Um, and maybe so, where uh, it came from. Anyway, yeah, but but yeah, I mean, because gospel leads right into soul, and you know, soul then leads into pop music, so it's it is pretty, it, it fans out pretty quickly. Right. And this is Rock Roll Radio, and we're talking with music critic Jim Harrington, music and TV commercial director Dawn Sutter Maydell, and Harold Stefan, who has had a varied music career and is now teaching music along with everything else. When we get back, we'll ask these three to make some suggestions for music we have not heard and that may bring some joy into our stressed out lives today. Now, here's a piece of music I'm going to play now that is most identifiable but always makes me smile from Wade Ripka's Little Rascals Orchestra. We wanted to get some suggestions from you three for music to watch an impeachment by. Yeah. What recommendations do you have for us? Music groups, sounds, genres, music we may not have heard and will bring immediate joy to our hearts and happiness to our souls. So who wants to start? Jim? Absolutely. Well, you know, my favorite artist of last year. One of them is going to be Alina Larson. So I got to start off with that as a <laughs> shout out to Alina. I just want to say that uh, she did so much um, back when I was a freelancer and helping me out and stuff like that. So it's just a great to uh, see our past connect again like this. So just yeah, Alina, Alina, just yeah, thank you for all you did. A good thing to watch the impeachment with, I would say the Universal Want by a band called The Doves. Um, they're a British alt rock outfit. They were big back a decade ago, big back in the UK. They never really made it as big in the US, uh, mainly got to the size where they were playing, you know, thousand seaters and stuff, but they were so good. Such an atmospheric, uh, you know, guitar driven band. And they have their last album last year was called the Universal Want. First one that they did in like a, uh, a decade. And it's so good. Um, kind of like shimmering yet muscular, uh, guitar leads, uh, prog meets alt rock. Uh, 
these guys should have been as big as Radiohead, and uh, it's not too late. So tune into the Universal Want from the Doves. That'd be one. Uh, I'm going to go with my favorite record of last year. Um, this might be appropriate too for um, impeachment. It's called the Goat. The Goat. <laughs> And you can take that in several ways. Um, when people see the goat in sports, they usually see, think it means greatest of all time. You see that in connection with like Roger Federer or Serena Williams or, uh, you know, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, for sure. They call him the goat. This is a 21 year old rapper from uh, Chicago and he has the confidence to, or the sense of humor to call his second record ever the goat and um, then he backs it up you know he's certainly not the greatest of all time and you know I'm sure he does that tongue-in-cheek and he actually in in interviews he's made reference that he's an actual it is his zodiac sign is he's a Capricorn and so that's what he references the goat as yeah I don't quite believe that either but it's so good and uh, he's from Chicago Production is relatively straightforward, low-key, never crowded, uh, and it just really sp- spotlights, you know, his rhymes and uh, just the stark realism. And it's uh, it's like reading a great novel. It's a there's such a thing of, as a page turner in hip hop. This is definitely one. Like I can't wait to hear the next track to hear what's going on. So niggas saying they the goat, but I came back to the hype. I dig deep into my spirit when I spit into the mic. All them sit downs in that county made me think about my life. Went through some tragedies, I made it out to make it right. I was doing drugs just to get me through the night. They went with me through my struggles, all the shit I sacrificed. I climbed out the darkness, now my paddock shining bright. I've been balling just for you. I put y'all faces in my eyes. Polo, Polo G, um, guy's real name is Taurus Tremani Bartlett. Yeah, you can just call him Polo G. But um, the best thing in hip hop la- last year, just a, a strong year in hip hop, and and uh, that was the top album. And I'll just give one more. Yeah, you know we were talking about R and B earlier uh, in the mix with gospel. Here's a guy that does that exactly. His name is Torn Wells. He is sort of like a sleek R&B pop guy. His first album came out in 2017. It was an album called Hills and Valleys. And now he's back with an album called uh, Citizen of Heaven. Actually has a guest appearance by gospel music icon Kirkland Franklin, excuse me, Kirk Franklin on the on the record. And it's just it's just really nice R&B. And whenever I need a little attitude improvement, I'll put on a song by him called Millionaire Good Like That. Millionaire Good Like That. And I swear it's really hard to feel down when you got that cranking. And that does have guest vocals on it by Kirk Franklin. Time they say God wanna gonna come through. I'd be a millionaire. Oh, uh, if I had a dollar for every time they say God wanna gonna come through. I'd be a millionaire. So I highly recommend Torn Rails for the R&B pop fans, uh, Doves for the alt-rock sort of psychedelic edged Radiohead fan, and um, Paul G. Great hip hop from Chicago. Thank you. Jim, you're good. You're going to listen to all that. You're good. That was was great. Great description. 
can see why you why you do the work you do. So, uh, Harold, what about you? What do you have anything for us? Sure. I mean, there's two ways that this can go. You know, uh, music that might make you feel better uh, while watching the proceedings, and music that kind of fits, you know, the vibe of the proceedings. Um, those are like two different ways to look at it. So, I think my number one choice would, you know, I personally would like to feel like maybe a little loopy while I'm watching it. Um, <laughs> so good. I would choose. I like um, there's a new there's a new Beck record uh, called Hyperspace, and um, it's a really terrific album. Uh, you know, I. I'm a member of the Recording Academy, so I, you know, I vote on the Grammys and I, I take that seriously and I, I really vet and listen to, you know, all the entries. Um, and I really enjoyed that record. That's a cool record in the alternative category. Um, so that one would be one that I would, you know, I, probably be my number one pick just because it would be kind of fun and, you know, um, kind of create something. It's such a serious topic that like it would allow me to just kind of digest it in a way that maybe uh, wouldn't make me so uh, angry. Um, so for me personally, that's, that's probably would be my number one choice. And the group's um, name then, again? Uh, Beck. You Beck. remember Beck from, he had, he had the, I'm a loser baby. So why don't you kill me? You know, that big oh yeah. He knows that. Al, you just forgot. Al. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. Two turntables and a microphone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That was even <laughs> probably a, even a bigger hit. Right. So yeah, so back and then uh, a couple other ones that just kind of might be fun. There's a song from, you know, I'm more of a pop guy, right? So uh, Doja Cat's uh, Boss Bitch uh, is is pretty funny um, and would probably make me laugh. Um, so I might choose to listen to that. Mm, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to. Yeah, ain't trying to be cool like you Wobbling around in your high heel shoes I'm clumsy, made friends with the floor Two for one, you know a bitch by four And two left feet, you know I always drop First thing a girl did was a bop And the whole damn cake and the cherry on top Shook up the bottom, made a good girl pop You ain't even here to party Can in the club trying to pipe a Barbie I don't wanna go, go, go with the flow Back then until I touch my toes I don't wanna roll, roll, roll the boat Wrist full of rocks and I hope I float Big up yourself cause you know they don't and then let's see what else you know a terrific record that would just um get my mind off of things and really pull me into the intricacies of all the production work uh is another one uh that i came across while i was you know uh voting and, and handling my naris duties um and it's jacob collier uh jesse volume three it's his new album uh, it's just, you know, it's, he's on, um, he's, he's an English, uh, you know, musician, songwriter, producer, and he's just at such a high level. Like, uh, it's hard to explain how high a level. So when you listen to the way that he creates his music, musical, uh, 
pastiches and puts everything together, um, you know, it's just it's it's just really enjoyable to listen to. If you wanna get sunshine, walking on the rooftop, I'ma go get some. We could go dancing, Moonlight. soak up the disco. Moonlight. I dig it when I get that. Ooh, yeah. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. Hey. You see the sun up in the sky. Wow, I can't wait to find them all and listen I to know, them. I know, I know. Dawn, what have you got for us? Well, first of all, I've been sort of thinking about, I've been looking at my, I was glancing at my top 10 for 2020 and sort of thinking about the impeachment and just quarantine and where I've been. I think I've, it it seems from looking at this list, I've gone to embracing sadness and then also some anger and, and maybe some escapism. So maybe like, you know, um, so most of these things are, these things are all new because they're from 2020. Um, but I will say in times like these, I think most people tend to listen to things that they find comfort in, which are things that they know really well. So you might return to the older Doves record <laughs> as well as the new one. One of my favorites was a band called Salt. It's S-A-U-L-T. They put out two albums last year. Both were amazing. One, uh, I think Rise is probably my favorite. The other one is called Black Is. Black Is definitely had a... I'm not sure if it was because of Black Lives Matter protests or it just happened to come out at the right time, but it has a lot of those elements in it. Um, so, but Rise is definitely my favorite musically. Um, it is kind of like a little bit soul, a little bit R&B. It's like cut up. There's some hip hop elements. There's some reggae elements. It's really all over the place. It is wonderful and fun and just really interesting. I really love it. Good morning. Rise and shine. It's time to get up, sleepyhead. It's time to face a new morning. The sun shining just for you. Rise, baby, rise. Keep your eyes clear. to get sad I listen to a lot of Waxahachie um which actually wasn't really super sad the the maybe Phoebe Bridgers was sadder so Phoebe Bridgers and Waxahachie I listen to a lot Phoebe Bridgers is a singer songwriter 
um, my 12 year old is obsessed with. And so I listen to a lot of that just by being in the same room with her. But also just, it's just really wonderful. And she put out at the end of last year, she put out a version of the same album called Copycat Killer, which was a reimagining of those same sad singer songwriter songs done with an orchestra. And it was really beautiful. When the speed kicks in I go to the store for nothing and walk right by the house where you lived with Snow White. I wonder if she ever thought the storybook tiles on the roof were too much. And then I think for my third one, I would say maybe a little escapism with uh, this guy who goes under the name Las Palabras. Um, it's a Spanish singer-songwriter. Um, it really has a lot of, kind of harkens back to some, um, kind of has some 60s vibes to it. It's just really, really sweet and lovely and relaxing and just what you need, especially when you're watching an impeachment, or when I'm watching an impeachment. Ven que te necesito, te necesito, te necesito. No quiero que tú te vayas, no quiero sentirme solo en la cama. Te quiero ser el amor, quiero sentirme dentro de tu corazón. Y tú bien sabes que yo soy el hombre que te quiere, sí. Ven que te necesito. So that was music to listen to an impeachment by. I am so looking forward to uh, digging into all of those sounds. And you all are so knowledgeable and so in love with the music. So we want to thank you. I want to start with thanks to Jim Harrington, West Coast pop music critic. Harold Stefan, keyboardist, band leader, and music producer and teacher. And Dawn Sutter Maydell, music producer, director, whose work can now be heard at Netflix in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Really looking forward to that. Thank you all for joining us on Bar Crawl Radio. It's been great. If you'd like to get the Bar Crawl Radio newsletter and updates uh, on new episodes, email us at barcrawlradio.gmail.com. Rebecca and I just got our COVID vaccine appointments. Yay! In a mere three months. We're that old. Three months. We're heading for the Javits Center to get jabbed and halfway to being inoculated. Good times are coming, folks. Yes. Stick it out. And Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street. Stay alive. We will find you. We could that's cut the chit-chat. Uh, I dig it when I Thank get that. Thank I'm going to go get some. Time alone with you. Time alone.